0: Hi and welcome to my latest edition of Revival Talks. I am Luke Vardy and I am your host for these talks. I've got a fantastic special guest on today. Remember, we're all about changing lives from the inside out. We're all about talking about revival and you're going to have a fantastic time in the presence of God. If you want to find out more about our ministry, please visit www dot ignite co uk, that's www ignite ministries co uk, and be blessed today. So tonight is going to be excellent. I've got um, a friend of mine backstage. His name is Michael Doe. We've just been talking about what we're going to be doing to tonight on um, revival talks. So um, please get ready and put some nice comments on there um, as Michael Doe comes on with me right now. I'm just going to bring him on. Hi, Michael.
1: Hey Luke. Bless you,
0: man. Well, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Um, say hello to everybody and sort of introduce yourself. Let them know who you are, where you live, family, etc. Uh,
1: yeah. So my name is Michael Dow. I live in Orlando, Florida with my wife and four children. And we are expecting another one, so four, but soon to be five. Um, uh, yeah, and so we, we've been here for several years. Um, fantastic.
0: And uh, I, I know the name of your new child. Uh, you put it on Facebook, so I'm aware of it. And I love the name Elijah Gabriel. Um, so um, it's a fantastic name. And we also share a son uh, son's names, both got Isaiah, um, or I call him Isaiah. Uh, you call him Isaiah over in America, as yeah. we noticed when was over a few times. So congratulations on your fifth child. Uh, you are blessed and overflowing with children. <laughs>
1: yeah, <thank you> so
0: <laughs> so, <much. laughs> so tonight is all about revival. Tonight is about us two just talking Um, Many people who have been watching this throughout have sent in testimonies of being in the presence of God. Um, um, We had Eric, one of your friends on last week, Mauricio, who you know from Shake the Nations. And tonight we're so privileged to have you um, here um, to talk around um, revival. But I want to give an opportunity for you just to run through a bit about your latest book that's come out. I'll put an image up and you just tell everybody who's watching a bit about the book.
1: Sure. Um, So, Fasting, Volume 2. Obviously, with a title like Volume 2, it would imply that there was a first volume. Uh, So, this is the second installment uh, of fasting books that I've written. Um, This one is Fasting Your Life as a Weapon in the Hand of God. Um, Really wanted to write something Uh, obviously first and foremost that I felt was from the Lord. I'm not interested in writing stuff just to put out products. I'm not interested in just trying to pump marketing tools and you know, all of that kinds of stuff. And I'm definitely not just looking for extra stuff to do, Um, but really felt like I was apprehended by the Lord um, on a longer fast and felt the invitation from the Lord uh, to begin writing and to write this book. Uh, just to be honest, after I put out the first fasting book, I never in a million years would have thought that there would have been a second. Uh, And in fact, it's actually something that friends of mine and different people have actually joked about. uh, Because the question is, man, how much is there that you could possibly have to say about not eating? (laughs) You know, like, I mean, you're you're writing books about not eating. Uh, like, Like, I mean, come on, man. Like, like seriously, like there was one book and it was cool. And, you know, the first fasting book has been an extraordinary blessing. Uh, We've received thousands of testimonies from all around the world. Um, There have been tens of thousands of copies of the book that have gone all around the world. Um, And so, you know, when the Lord invited me to write this one, um, I feel like the conversations got broke up in two parts. Um, The first book, we could, if we wanted to say it simply, we could say it this way. It was about learning how to point fasting at someone. Um, Because for me, fasting is about loving Jesus. Um, Fasting isn't only about missing meals. Fasting isn't only about, you know, all of the other stuff, the rules and the regulations that so easily get attached to a lifestyle or a moment or seasonal effort in fasting, um, it's not about any of those things. Those things may be involved, but it is not primarily about those things. It is primarily about learning how to love Jesus and learning how to love him well with the entirety of our life. Uh, And so that was the first book. The first book was learning how to love Jesus in and with fasting. Uh, Because if we don't learn how to love Jesus, I don't really wanna talk about any of the other things associated with fasting. You know, and I find so many that get motivated to fast um, with a variety of things, man. We, we promise people breakthrough. We promise people, you know, answers. And we promise people all of this stuff that they begin chasing, uh, you know, create a hit list and go after it while you're fasting and yada, yada, yada. And I'm not saying that these things can't be valid at times. I'm not saying that God doesn't want to answer prayers. I'm not saying that the Lord doesn't want to give us breakthrough. Um, But man, the greatest breakthrough is learning how to love Jesus well. Um, He is the reward. He is the prize. He is everything. Uh, And I find that we so easily motivate people with all of the stuff. Um, And for me, it it just becomes telling that in certain cases, he's just not motivating enough to us. Um, He's just not enough (laughs) for us. Um, we have to have the other stuff because we don't find him to be enough. Uh, and so the first book was about finding him to be enough, learning how to point our effort of fasting at someone. Uh, but then the second book, yep. uh, because it's, it's undeniable when you track through the scriptures and when you go through the history of the age and countless men and women that God has walked with and given himself to, uh, it is undeniable that at times the Lord invited people into fasting and then used their effort in fasting to point it at something. Um, Whether that was like we have um, in Esther chapter four, there's the Holocaust of a people group. They're on the verge of an annihilation of the Jews. Um, And Esther tells Mordecai, listen, you and your team go fast for three days and me and my team will do the same. So three days, don't eat, don't drink. Right. And I'm sure Mordecai is like, hold on, man. Like, like we need a real strategy, man. Like we're about to die. Like, what do you mean? Don't eat, don't drink for three days. Like, <laughs> yeah. like King has signed the ordinance. Like this is serious. Like this is like, we're not playing games. Like we yeah. need a real strategy. And Esther's like, no, listen,
0: come on, don't man. eat or
1: drink for three days. And when we come up out of fasting, I will go in and I will speak with the king. And we know, I mean, they're granted favor, extraordinary breakthrough. An entire people group gets delivered. There's deliverance on a national scale because of three days of fasting and praying. Um, You know, so I mean, it's undeniable that the Lord uses times in fasting to fulfill his purposes to provide deliverance and breakthrough, to destroy um, the works of darkness and the intentions of the wicked one. Uh, you know, so I mean, it, these things are undeniable, but for me, it, it's a continuation in the conversation. Mm. Uh, again, you want to learn how to love Jesus and we want that to be enough. Uh, and then as we learn how to love him, love him well and host him well, uh, we can be open to God's desires. And as he invites us into, you know, possibly different times of fasting and praying, um, may, may his kingdom come and may his will be done. Come on. That's fantastic. And so I think they
0: have to get volume one before they can actually get volume two. So I would suggest if you listen to this now or live, Buy them together. I don't know if you have like a a discount for buying two together. The UK likes discounts, but um, whether or not they're both good value for money, especially if you struggle in the area of fasting and struggle to understand the purpose of it. And hopefully we're going to unlock a bit of that um, throughout this chat. That's what I'm hoping to do because I'll be honest with you, fasting is a difficult thing um, for for everybody. Um, and I, I spoke a bit with Eric last week about getting in the presence of God and and the oh, difficulties yeah. around it. And he just said it's not a matter of you know having a technique or anything. It's a matter of how much do you value Jesus. And uh, if you don't value Jesus, you're not going to spend much time with him. You're going to have Netflix on right. more often. So I, I think volume one of your books probably going to touch on areas like that. Uh, and it's going to be fantastic for people to get into and understand. Um, you've also got um, a ministry web page. I'm guessing they can purchase the book or the links on and that's burningones.org. That's going across the bottom. So if you're watching on YouTube, you're watching on uh, Facebook or Twitter, and you can uh, go to that website there and find out more about um, Michael's ministry, what he does, and uh, where you can purchase some of the books uh, that is released. And it'll be fantastic for you to encourage him. So welcome to everybody who's just logged on. I can see a lot more logging on um, on the different platforms. So thank you very much for joining us. Please do let us know exactly where you're logging on from. And if you've got any questions whatsoever for Michael on fasting I'm hoping to see some questions on there but if not I've got lots and lots of questions Michael because it is something that even though I've fasted throughout my um, Christian life uh, you still sometimes want to know more about it and get the understanding and I'm probably guilty like other people of probably just fasting because it we're told to fast. And I want to understand actually the power behind fasting, the purposes of fasting, and we'll get to that shortly. But before we get there, I always ask a few questions to all of my guests. And the first one is, what is revival to you, Michael?
1: Uh, Yeah, so I think revival, even by the basic understanding of the term, would be the idea that something doesn't have life. Um, that something has died. Uh, And so it needs to be revived. Uh, It needs to be brought back to life. It needs to return to a place of purpose, Uh, right? Losing life could be, you know, the idea of losing purpose, uh, right? Like when we die, we no longer fulfill purpose. Uh, We go into the grave. So the idea of revival for me um, would be bringing the church back to life, I believe it's where the Lord reveals himself in such an extraordinary way um, that we realign with him and his purposes. Um, And I think over the age, revival has looked like a lot of different things. If you just want to look at the aesthetics, so to speak, or things that have been associated with revivals as there's been these glorious sweeping moves of the spirit throughout history. Uh, you know, I, I, again, I, I live in America. So over here, you know, we have the first great awakening. We have the second great awakening. Uh, you know, there was Brownsville, there was Toronto, there was Azusa, um, you know, but each one seemed to be marked with specific characteristics that marked the revival, whether it was Uh, again, an incredible move uh, in an evangelistic endeavor, whether it was signs and wonders and healing and miracles, whether it was, you know, Azusa, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and, you know, speaking in tongues and marked by missions. Um, So so I think that there's a lot of characteristics that can mark moments and periods of revival. Uh, But I would say, man, revival in a basic found fundamental or foundational understanding uh, would be, the the awakening in the church, uh, a great revealing of the beauty of Jesus, and realigning our lives with Him and Him as our passion and our pursuit. Um, and it's where we get resynchronized with God and His purposes in our generation.
0: Fantastic! That's a great answer. And you know, we've just got to get repurposed, we've got to get revived, we've got to be brought back to life. I think it was um Nathan Morris and he preached in one of his messages, and um he was speaking about um imagine if someone had died and they um they came with a little six volt battery and tried to revive you with the with the electric, it'd just be a little and and there wouldn't be much to it. So um in my in my eyes and, and based on that sort of comment. I want to make sure when I'm brought back to life, it comes with a shock. And sometimes there's a lot of shock comes in revival um, to, to us personally. I, I believe when uh, we're revived, actually, we're also convicted when we're revived. So um, this is my personal opinion. Sometimes God has to convict us to his heart and say, hey, what are we doing as a church? Are we really in love with Jesus or are we in love with one another and meeting together with one another? Which is good also, it says, to meet together, to encourage one another. But the whole purpose of that should be to give glory to God first and foremost, and to also, you know, be equipped and sent out and thrust out. And I think that's sometimes the part we miss with church and seeing revival again, people have become lazy and we sit on the pew and we like the good messages. And there's so many good speakers out there now, you could sit all day long and listen, but God wants to convict and bring us back to life, uh, the true life. And we only have to read to acts really to realise that. So I love that answer. I love uh, love how you brought it. And also, we want to know, Michael, when was the first time? Probably. I'm going to bring in two parts here, so you just run with it. So, number one, when did you first meet Jesus? And number two, were you involved in any of the uh, American revivals? Did any capture you um, in your youth to sort of bring you to where you are now? So, just go with go with that.
1: Sure. So, for me, um, I grew up in a godless house. Uh, We didn't go to church. We weren't raised um, in the ways of the Lord. There was no instruction about Jesus and uh, living for him and righteousness and all of these types of things. Um, So for me, life looked a little different. I didn't have kids' church. I didn't have youth group. Um, I didn't grow up in meetings. Uh, As a matter of fact, I grew up out on the streets. Um, I got expelled from high school. I was a drug addict, I was drug dealing. Um, You know, I lived, uh, I got kicked out of my house. Um, I lived in my car for a period of time, got involved with all of the wrong kinds of folks doing all of the wrong kinds of stuff. Um, you know, but it it led me down a pretty dark path. And so for me, when I first met Jesus, uh, it would have been October of 2002. Uh, matter of fact, it was October 6th of 2002. Um, and I was going to a church because I was at the time dating a girl. Um, I was 21 years old and met a girl. Um, she said, my parents will let me spend more time with you if you start coming to church. Um, my <laughs> entire history of life in church, I could sum it up in maybe two Ash Wednesday services. Uh, I remember wow. from time, uh, you know, my mom held a form of Catholicism, but nothing that ever like impacted our lives. I wouldn't even necessarily say anything that was devout Um, and I remember coming to a church service on October 6th, 2002, uh, and to summarize what could be a much longer story. Uh, I showed up first Sunday night service ever to fight one of the pastor's sons. Um, (sighs) backpack full of drugs, tried to get into a fight before service. Um, he convinced me that we were going to fight after service. Uh, we were going to fight after service. I sat on the back row waiting for service to end so that I could fight in the parking lot with one of the pastor's sons. Um, At the Mm. time, he had three sons and a daughter. This would have been his youngest son of the three. Uh, We waited until the end of service because, again, I had a backpack full of drugs at the time. Again, I was dealing. Uh, I was really broken, Um, man. And at the end of the night, I ended up at the altar. Not because I wanted to be there again, man, this was all just a game to me. It was all just a joke. This was pure nonsense. I was only there because I wanted to interact with this girl. Um, It was a total circus. Uh, And now again, this was an assemblies of God church in central Florida back in 2002. I had no grid for what was going on in here. No grid whatsoever. Um, I remember the end of that service specifically um, there was a young man on the platform that was leading worship. He had just gotten out of Brownsville. He had just graduated from the Brownsville School of Revival. Um, and he was there leading worship and had everybody towards the front. Uh, I remember there were some jumping, there were others shouting, there were others singing and dancing. Uh, some had fallen down, um, but they were all singing this song. Uh, But all I knew is that there was a bunch of people up at the front of the church who were all shouting and crying and dancing and screaming and, you know, singing the the words to this song, which was set me on fire. Um, Now, it was the (laughs) Wendell Cooley song from the Brownsville days. Yeah, Um, I didn't know that. Right. Like like I had seen some wild stuff in the streets and in the clubs and all of this kinds of stuff, but I had never seen something like this. Uh, Man, I had not seen anything like this, bro. Um, And there I was. Somebody asked me if they could pray for me. Um, I thought to myself, I'll do whatever I have to do to get up out of this crazy place, man. All I want to do is fight in the parking lot. I'm trying to get back out to town. um, Right. Because there were things that I had on my heart that I thought I was trying to do later on that night. Um, But really, all I was doing was trying to fight. Right then, so that I could get on to the plans that I had, uh, but I ended up at the altar because somebody asked me wow. if I' pray for me and now, again, in my mind, I am thinking to myself, I will do whatever I have to do to get up out of this crazy place and so we went down to the altar. We go down to the altar, and the pastor asked me, "Do you want to get saved tonight and I thought for a second, and I was like, get saved from what? (laughs) And he was like, no, really, do you want to get saved tonight? And I said, no, really, get saved from what? Like, I I don't know what you're talking about. What do I need to get (laughs) saved from? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's wild, man. I, I think at times we expect those who are separated from church to understand our lingo or our language. Um, We we expect them to understand the terminology that we use and the principles and the scriptures. Um, But the the reality for me is I was in a place where I felt like I was very far from God. Um, I didn't think that God cared anything about me. Um, I didn't have any understanding that God would have been pursuing me. Uh, There was no one over the course of my journey in life that had rallied alongside of me to tell me all of these wonderful things that we understand, you know, when we host these meetings and we talk about prodigals or we talk about those that need to be saved or we talk about those that have never been born again. Uh, You know, the son of man comes to seek and to save and, you know, Jesus loves you and has a plan for you. and. I didn't didn't have any of these things. Um, As a matter of fact, my life was really broken. I was living in a really dark place. Um, Man, I was suicidal. I was violent. Um, I was drug addicted. I was diseased. Uh, And when I say diseased, I just don't mean with the corruption of sin. Uh, I mean, granted, I'm 21 when I'm standing at the altar, but at 17, I had sat down in a doctor's office because I had gotten up that morning uh, and when I went to use the restroom, uh, realized that I was experiencing a lot of trouble, um, a lot of problems. And I'm not going to get too detailed or graphic, uh, but I realized I needed to get into a doctor's office ASAP. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the end of the day, I was sitting in a doctor's office and got told that I had a sexually transmitted disease. That there was a disease that was now ravaging my bloodstream that science had no cure for it, um, that the medical profession did not have a way to cure it. Um, There was no hope, there were no answers. The best that they could do for me was to prescribe me uh, with a medication that at best was going to hope to suppress what it was that I was experiencing day by day, all of these physical complications. Um, I sat in a doctor's office at 17 and got told that I had herpes. Um, and the doctor told me that if I ever was intimate with my wife, that it was 100% guaranteed that I was going to transfer the disease to her. Um, he told me that if we were ever intimate and my wife was going to conceive that there was no way at all for me to be able to have children. Without them being, and quote unquote, like he told me that day, tainted by my life's decisions. He said, if you ever have children, they're going to have the disease. Um, And basically, he looked at me that day and told me, son, because of the way that you've chosen to live, you are now going to be permanently marked. Um, This will be a forever part of your story. Uh, Man, that's pretty rough at 17. Yeah, heavy. Um, And so rather than you thinking that that would have helped me to kind of wake up and to revive my hopes and my concerns for life, um, it didn't. Um, It didn't at all. Things just got way more dark. Um, Things just got way more um, frustrating. And man, just the cycle of crime and violence, um, it just perpetuated in a downward spiral. Um, And I ended up at the lowest of lows, man, in the most broken place I had ever known, Now, granted, this had been, by the time I'm standing at the altar at 21, I had already been arrested and been to jail 15 times. Again, I had been diseased now for several years, taking this medication. Um, Man, I had been involved in a criminal life, you know, drug dealing and drug addicted, um, suicidal, man, just all kinds of crazy stuff. And so when the pastor asked me, do I want to get saved? I had no idea what he was talking about. And so then he said, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? And I stepped back, thought for a second, and I looked at him and I was like, hey, man, listen, that question is way worse than the first question. I have no idea what you're talking about. What do you mean ask somebody into my heart? Like, like, bro, I've got no idea what it is that you want from me. I said, how about this? How about you Mm. ask me a question that I actually understand? And maybe then we can get somewhere. (laughs) bro, real talk. I, I had no idea what he was talking about. Uh, and I'm not exaggerating so, 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 at all.
0: So there's a lesson to be learned here, Michael, to so anybody who's watching it, whether you're a preacher, a pastor,
1: yeah, get on.
0: rid of the, uh, the, the the Christian jargon. Uh, you know, One of my favorite is uh, God wants to wash you with the blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb of God. I, I mean, the thought of that image of A sheep being hung over you and blood. I mean, to a non-Christian who hasn't got a clue what you're talking about, it is jargon. And just like Michael said, he, he didn't understand any of it. I was brought up in church, so I understood it from a young age. But most people are not brought up in church throughout the world. So Michael's telling us here right now in his testimony, if you're a preacher, preach it simple. Preach it as if they don't understand any of the scriptures. And just preach Jesus. I'm I'm probably right in that, Michael. Come on, carry on. I want to hear the rest of the story, how you got transformed and and changed to where you are now.
1: And so then he he stepped back for a second because I'm sure he was puzzled. Um, I I don't take that to be a normal altar call experience. Um, You know, I laugh now uh, because (laughs) I have encountered many that were like me um, in the altars all throughout the world. Uh, And so I'm not put off by it. uh, Right. Because I understand. Uh, But he stepped back for a moment and he was puzzled. And then he asked me a question that changed my life. He stepped back up and he said, how about this? Would you be willing tonight to lay your life down and to no longer live it for yourself? But from this day forward, would you make the decision that you're going to live your life for God? And you're going to live it for him only. Would you be willing to do that tonight? Wow. And I, I stepped for a second and I was like, oh, man, we could have started there. <laughs> I was like, bro, that's easy. I was like, no, I've never done that. <laughs> and he was like, would you be willing to do that tonight? And again, I'm thinking to myself, I will do whatever I have to do just to get up out mm. of this crazy place because I'm just trying to fight. Bro, I've got a backpack full of drugs sitting on the back wow. pew waiting for me. I'm at the altar. I didn't bring the backpack to the altar. Um and I said, "Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll do that." And he was like, "Wow, y- you you want to do that." And I said, "Yeah. Yeah, I-, I mean, let's do that." I was like, "How how do we do that? How do I lay my <laughs> life down for God? Like how do I make the decision that I'm not going to live it for myself?" I was like, "Man, if that's what we're going to do." I was like, "Sure. Yeah, let's do that." And He said, I'm going to ask you to lift your hands and to start praying with me. And I made the mistake of actually lifting my hands and praying. Um, (laughs) If if you would have. And the reason that I say that is because if you would have asked me, was I seeking God? I would have told you no, because, again, like you said, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't understand all of the vocabulary. I didn't know the terminology. So I would have told you no, because I didn't actually even believe that God existed. Um, But what I do know is that for six, seven, eight months leading up to that moment at the altar, uh, I would walk the streets at night when all the partying was done, when all the people were gone, when all of the drugs and the alcohol and the extracurricular activities were done. um, I would walk the streets at night from time to time Mm -hmm. with tears running down my face and I would look up into the sky. And I would say things like, I don't know if you're real. I don't know if you're Mm. actually out there. Um, I've heard people talk about you, but I don't know if you really exist. But this is what I do know. I'm stuck where I am. I'm trapped. Uh, I want to be different, but I don't know how to do anything different than what I'm doing. Um. I want to change, but I also understand that I don't have the power to change. And so if you're not actually real, I'm going to die doing what I'm doing. I'm going to die being who it is that I know how to be. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're not actually out there, this is what the rest of my life is going to look like. And bro, that was months. Um, Now, granted, uh, I wasn't meeting at a coffee shop and sharing my heart over my favorite latte, you know, with people. Um, because, man, at that time, like I was in the streets and the streets were rough um, and those were not the types of conversations that we were having. Um, You know what I mean? So I couldn't just necessarily bear my heart. Um, But late at night, walking the streets, um, I was crying out. I just didn't know. And so that night at the altar, man, when I lifted my hands and I began to pray. uh, I broke into a visionary encounter. And it was as real as anything that's ever happened to me in my whole life. And I'm still to this moment, to this day, trying to find a way to communicate exactly what it is that I experienced on that night, October 6, 2002. Um, Because I broke into a visionary encounter and I saw Jesus, the son of God, alive from the dead, glorified and beautiful. Um, and he was afar off. But when he saw me, he came running in my direction. And wow. he ran over to me and he grabbed me and he pulled me close and he embraced me the way that you would a long lost loved one that you hadn't seen in quite some time. And he held me tight and he held me for some time. And he just began speaking things over my life. Um, Things that I later on, as I found a Bible and started reading the Bible, um, things later on I found out were actually in the word. Uh, But it makes sense to me because he is the word. Uh, And so he cannot help but be himself. Uh, And so he began to speak the word and things over my life. Uh, And man, honestly, it seemed like now now I do feel like it's important. He shared certain things. Uh, He said, you're not an accident. I said yes to you. He said, Uh you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh Um, He said, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He said, you're not an accident. He said, I have a purpose Uh for you. There's a plan that I have for you. And he said that even when all others may have walked away from you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you until your final breath, regardless of where it is that you go in the world. And there were so many things that he spoke over me in that initial encounter. Uh, But it's important because, as I said, these were things that I later understood were in the word. Yeah, Um, Yeah. But man, it seemed like just a couple of seconds. But when I pulled my face out of my hands, I was weeping. I was broken. And it had been 45 minutes lost in this encounter with Jesus. Wow. And I was radically a different person. I I mean, radically born again, uh, born again in a radical way and a radically different person. Instantly delivered from drug addiction, alcoholism, rage, violence, brokenness, perversion, um, all of the suicidal tendencies radically born again and changed from that moment. Um, Now, now it's also important to say um, I was set free in a moment, but I had to learn how to live set free. Uh, Because the two are not the same. Um, We Mm. can be delivered in an instant, but then it can take us a lifetime for us to actually learn how to live delivered. Uh, And we bump into people all the time, which I'm sure you do as well. Um, that are in these constant ups and downs. They're in the roller coaster cycle of Christianity. They're in the ebbs and flows. One day they're doing good. The next day they're not. And it seems to be some days they're on fire. Other days they're buried with guilt and condemnation uh, because they've been set free in a moment and they realize that God has done something. Praise God. Uh, But they have not yet learned how to set their life up to live free. Uh, And so we end up forfeiting deliverance because we've not yet been instructed how to live delivered. Mm. Um, And I was radically a different person, man. I mean, there were no 12 steps. There were no five steps, no three steps. Um, And praise God for those things. Uh, Yep, those things are cool for who they're cool for. Uh, But I'm telling you, man, there's one step that's needed and it's one step to Jesus. Because when you take one step to Jesus, you'll understand that he's already taken all the steps necessary to find you, to come to you. There's no hole too deep. There's no place too dark. There's no brokenness that's too broken. There's no addiction that's too great. There's no perversion that's too overwhelming. Uh, All of these things were so overwhelming to me that I had become a captive to my own satisfaction satisfactions and I did not understand that I thought I was satisfying myself when in actuality I was ruining my life Mm -hmm. Um, but Jesus came looking for me Uh, in a moment when I didn't know if he existed and honestly I didn't really want anything to do with him he came running in my direction he came looking for me he came to me when I was at the lowest of lows The most broken of broken the Mm. darkest hour of my whole life and what i learned in that initial experience is that if this was the moment that he came looking for me when he came looking for me when i didn't have anything to offer him he came looking for me when there was nothing that i felt i brought to the table um i learned in that initial experience um, that that destroyed the whole works mentality for me in the very beginning, uh, wow, because I, I don't understand what it is, man. That like we meet him, we see him, we encounter him, we get born again. It's a beautiful translating out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son that he loves. Man, we are completely undone by his radiance, by the glorious light that he shines forth from. Uh, But then for some reason, we try to spend the rest of our time walking with him Trying to work for him, trying to please him, trying to bring all of these efforts and all of this striving and all of this stuff to the table so that we can feel like we've done enough so that he can love us so that we can feel like we're good enough so that he can want us. Uh, I think some of us and even some of us that are watching, we need to be reminded, even as Paul encouraged the Corinthians, you need to remember what you were when God's call came to you. You need to be reminded of where it was that you were in life when he revealed himself to you, when he gloriously unveiled the beauty and the majesty of his person so that you could want him. Uh, Because Jesus said, no man can actually come to me unless it is the father that draws him by his spirit come on and so some of us need to be reminded where we were and what we were um so come that on. all of the pressure of that works and striving and all of the ways that the enemy tries to persuade us and condemn us with all of these works mentalities and all of this nonsense as if to think that there's ever going to be something that we could do that would make Jesus love us any more than he does right now. Come um, on, And bro, I was r- born again and a radically different person. And just started chasing Jesus, man. Like a uh, a couple of weeks later, got baptized. A couple of weeks later, got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Um, uh, A couple of weeks after that, responded to an altar call for miracles. They laid hands on me and it felt like a hot bucket of oil got dumped over my head. Um, Wow, wow, wow. To the ground. Um, And now let me say, I'm not your guy that is just going down every altar call. I don't say that. (laughs) uh to because i don't want to um i'm just saying that because man like it's become so casual um yeah 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 and you got all these complimentary falls and you got all these people that just go down because everybody's going down and you got those that go down and then they start looking for you know the altar team and the little blanket folks you know and they put the blanket on them and they you know they got to get comfortable with the blanket because they know they're gonna be there for a while but I'm not talking <laughs> about this nonsense man I'm talking about where the power of God hits you in such an authentic way that like the the history of the scriptures say, man, when he touched me, I fell down on my face like a dead man. Like John says in Revelation one, when I saw him in all of his glory, in all of his beauty, in all of his splendor, I fell down on my face at his feet as though I had died. Uh, I'm talking about when the authentic electricity of the Holy Ghost comes on you and god touches you um and you go yeah, down yeah. Not because you want to go down um but because man god touches you and the floor is where you, <laughs> uh, you literally lose all of your strength and your ability to try to hold yourself up and together in his presence um yeah yeah and it was like a hot bucket of oil and i went home Come on. To try to take my pills and i heard a voice in my heart say you don't need those anymore Now doctors don't know why I don't have the disease in my bloodstream. Now they've tried to find out because they have no answers for why what they told me they had no cure for. What they told me there was no hope for. What they told me medicine would never be able to fix. They don't understand why I have blood reports that show it historically. But from that moment, January in 2003, when I responded to that altar call, they don't know why from that point forward, it's no longer in my bloodstream. Um, And I just like to say it this way. The blood of Jesus gave me an answer that science doesn't have. The blood of Jesus gave me an answer that doctors haven't found. Um, The blood of Jesus gave me an answer that medicine has not yet been able to correct. Um, Bro, these were my beginning days of walking with Jesus. Um, It was extraordinary to me because I didn't know anything like it. I didn't have some kind of grid or idea of what it was supposed to be like. And so, man, I saw him and I met him and I decided I didn't want anything but him. Man, my heart was burning and I just kept coming after him, man, in whatever way I knew how. Um, whether that was gatherings, whether that was at home. I didn't even know it was called the secret place. Um, It was just spending time with Jesus and trying to do my best um, to keep coming after him, man. And if it was praying, if it was fasting, if it was reading my Bible, um, bro, I just I just did it all, man. I did it all. I I didn't want to create any excuse to not be able Mm. to find him or meet with him. Wow. Wow.
0: Well, that's a powerful transformation there, Michael. I mean, it, it's inspiring um to know that God can take somebody who was probably not really interested in making a commitment that day and he can transform them um, right there in that moment. And Burning Ones is probably the right name for your ministry after hearing what you said, you know, you've burnt my spirit. Um, You know, it, People have to burn again for Jesus and then people will come and watch and burn, as, uh, as the famous quote says. So, I, I mean, I think we got a question on here. I want to share it. It's actually from my brother um, over here. So I want to put it up. But it's a really good question. And did your change have an effect on the people in your life, family and friends, etc.? And if so, how? I just think it's appropriate to probably bring that question in right now. So just go for it, uh, Michael. Uh,
1: Yeah. So for me, when I got saved or when I got born again, I went back out to the streets um, because at that time that that's where I was living. And it was what I was involved with. And all of the associations, I couldn't have necessarily gotten out of everything that I was in very easily. Um, And I went back out to the streets and it was insane. People thought that I was a schizophrenic. They thought that I was bipolar. (laughs) They thought that I had lost my mind. They thought that I had OD'd on drugs and I had finally like tapped and like broken mentally. Um, They didn't have any way to try to understand or interact with who it was that I now was. Uh, And so to be honest, man, I lost all of my friends um, or people that in the moment that I thought were my friends. I lost all of my friends and I got cut out of all of the relationships that I had. Um, no. and that's, that's honest. That That's the absolute truth. That's not evangelistically speaking. Uh, but the most beautiful thing happened to me. I got left all alone with Jesus. Wow. Um, I got left all alone with Jesus and I got left with the people that were a part of the church that I was now attending and becoming a part of, um, yeah. and people in my family, Uh, When my mom saw me for the first time after I had gotten born again, it had been months since I had seen my mom. Um, There were times where I would call her from jail. She understood um, all of the difficulty that my life was producing. Um, And so there were, you know, uh, seasons where I would see her and other seasons where I wouldn't, but it had been months since I saw her. And when I saw her for the first time, she started crying and she said, there has to be a God in heaven somewhere because... God is the only one that could have been able to change you. Um, So there were some where it was embraced and it was accepted. Um, There were other folks that were a part of my family and other circles of friends in distant ways um, where it wasn't really celebrated. It wasn't really cheerleaded. Um, You know, people Mm -hmm. didn't want to hear about it. They didn't really care about Jesus and how I had met him. And, you know, they weren't really interested in the way that he had changed my life. Um, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, But I I had to learn some difficult lessons in the beginning. Uh, You know, when Jesus says, if you don't love me more than father, mother, if you don't love me more than, you know, and he goes through the list of things. Um, I don't think that Jesus is saying that we're supposed to uh, betray and abandon all of our family. Uh, But I think he's speaking into the distinction Uh, the decision that we're going to have to make in different moments where, Lord, what do you mean to me? And if walking with you is going to not allow me to walk with others, um, what price am I willing to pay in order to love you and to love you well? Am I willing to count the cost that I've received in the invitation to the gospel? For if any man is going to come, let him first deny himself and pick up his cross. And follow after me, um, Lord. If following you is going to produce difficulty with my coworkers, um, what cost am I willing to count? What price am I willing to pay, um, man? If following you is going to produce difficulty for me in the classroom on my school campus, uh, where I'm going to be ridiculed or criticized, um, you know, what am I willing to do in order to love you? Um, or are there going to be unique intersections where I'm going to be confronted with the cost? And will it push me into moments of compromise because um, I'm unwilling to pay a certain price? Um, I'm unwilling to count a specific cost. Uh, You see, and I had to learn a a valuable lesson in the beginning. Um, There were a lot of people that walked away from me and I had to be okay with that because I had Jesus. Yeah. Um, So so I would say, yeah, I, I mean, I, I get it at different times. It's tough. Um, you know, it, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always your love for Jesus is not always going to fit nice and neat into every relationship or into every situation. Um, but man, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. Mm, may he have yeah. a people for himself that would be willing at all costs to glorify him and to honor him with an excellent yes and the entirety of our lives, Um, right? That's what we find in Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Praise God. Um, We hear that part of the verse preached, prayed, um, talked about in great deal, Uh, but that's not the entirety of the verse. There's a second part to that verse. Um, There's a part B, if you would, Um, (laughs) having not loved their own lives, even when confronted with death. Um, and I just know that you know, uh, man. A people, because we're talking about revival, um, mm-hmm. a people that are going to spark revival in the earth, are not going to be a people that are bound by self-preservation. Wow. Um, they're not going to be a people that are consumed with self-love. Um, They're not going to be a people that are, you know, self-absorbed and narcissistic. Um, Narcissism is an inflated self-love. It's a person that says, I love Jesus, but I also love me. And in any place where those loves intersect, I'm going to choose the love that I have for myself over the love that I have for Jesus. Um, The catalyst for revival are going to be a people that have been delivered from self-preservation. They're going to be a Come people on. that have looked deeply into the face of Jesus and have counted the cost, have looked at and surveyed the land of the world and realized this world is not my home. Take this world, but give me Jesus. You can have all of the lights. You can have all of the glistening attractions. You can have all of the world because I've looked deeply into the face of Jesus and he is now what I want. And I am willing to forsake every other thing, even the love of my hey, own life because of the way that I love him Um, and I believe man if we ever find pockets of people that get delivered from self-preservation right this is what Jesus says in Matthew 16 when he invites people into the gospel after his initial invitation he says for what will it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul so yeah Or what will it profit a man who seems to gain everything, right? You have everything that you want. All of the world's um, loves, all of the world's desires. You get it all, but you forfeit your soul. You lose your life. He says, but anybody who's willing to lose lose their life for my sake and the gospel, you're going to find it. Yeah. But then he says you are going to spend a lot of time. He spends time talking about, there will be those who spend time protecting and preserving their life. But in the end, they'll end up losing it. Wow. These are folks that spend a whole lot of time in self-preservation. They're they're trying to protect an idea of what their life should look like. They're trying to preserve some image of who they want to be. Or the person yep. that they think other people want them to be. And they spend a whole lot of time protecting and preserving. Um, but in the end, they end up losing. But people wow. that are willing to lose into and unto Jesus, um, man, you never lose by giving more of yourself to God.
0: Wow, wow. I, I, that's fantastic. And it just jumped in my mind then. you know, We've got to be willing to... Um, lose our reputations. I mean, Jesus left his life. He laid it down for us. And some of us can't even get rid of his reputations. And, you know, some, I mean, the the church structure, sometimes we're trying to keep up with the, the latest music, the latest way to speak and present, when actually, we're ahead of it. I mean, I say it, we've got better worship than any music you can get out there. The music that God's people creates is far better than what the the devil's trying to create out in the world. And yet we're trying to keep up with it. I've got nothing wrong with the flashing lights, the really well presented uh, gospel messages. But if we take that and think that's the real message how we look how we dress I mean does it really matter I'm wearing a grey top you're wearing a black top does it really matter what's happening no but you know we don't want to look scruffy either we want to be presentable so I'm all in for looking good I'm all in for making us do, do the best we can but if the sound systems went the lights went could we still preach the gospel passionately enough and could we still burn for Jesus the real reason is is we're getting that um um stuck in all the other things around christianity all the religious routines and if we read through the scriptures the pharisees the sadducees they had their little religious regulations and rules the way that they walked in they wanted honor they wanted respect they prayed loudly and it actually says stop babbling your prayers aren't heard by god you know there's so much it tells us through the scriptures that we even ignore today and you might be watching this today and it might be a bit challenging but i love what michael's brought if we want to see revival, we've got to lay some of those down. In fact, we've got to decrease so Jesus can increase in his life. Uh, famous quote from the Bible, we've got to decrease. We've got to strip ourselves bare so he can increase. And and, and that might lead goodly onto to about fasting here, Michael. On, we, I know I had some questions written down. I'm going to go off here, so I hope I don't throw you, Michael, with this. But does fasting help us? to get rid of ourselves and and get more of God in us. Just tell us a bit about fasting, what it is, and and try and answer that if you can.
1: Yeah, I I would say exactly that. Um, Fasting is one of the beautiful gifts that God has given to us um, so that we can bring our fleshly man beautifully subject to the loving rule of Jesus in our hearts and in our lives. Um, Paul in Romans 7 talks about the conflict of two natures, and he talks about the wrestling that happens on the inside. Um, And I think that for most of us, we're very aware of the wrestling at times that happens on the inside. You know, Paul in Galatians 5 says if we walk by the Spirit and if we live in the Spirit, that we no longer have to satisfy the lustful cravings of our fleshly man or our natural man. So here we have this beautiful promise that we are a spirit people. We're not like every other human. We're not like every other person. When we are born again, God has put his own spirit in us. And so we carry the Holy Spirit. And so we have this beautiful promise of transformation. It is something that God is doing. It is his goal. It is his delight. Romans 8 tells us he has predestined those that he loves, those that answer the call to love Jesus, to be conformed to his image. So we are being conformed into the image of Jesus. Um, We're not just necessarily trying to look like a better version of us. We are being conformed into the image of Jesus. It's not how can Mike be at his spiritually best presented version. Um, I wanna (laughs) look more like Jesus. And this is the promise that we have. And fasting helps. Fasting is a tool. Fasting is a means to an end. It is not a goal in and of itself. Um, Fasting is a tool to help us to look like and live like Jesus. Um, And fasting is one of the beautiful ways that has helped to accelerate the forming of the image of Jesus in my life in a aggressive way. Um, And I say... um, aggressively accelerate on purpose yep. um, you know that there is uh, a man of God that I respect who says it this way if you want to learn a lot about yourself go on a seven-day water fast wow. um, and you will begin to understand very quickly um, things that are still alive on the inside of you That maybe because of all of the busyness of life, because of all of the buffers and all of the distractions that we implement in a variety of ways, uh, maybe because of just all of the other spiritual activities that we give ourselves to. Um, It's not as easy to be able to identify, um, but fasting drills down deep into the Mm. core of our inner man and the reality of who we are that's alive on the inside. Um, Fasting Mm. shines a bright light. It illuminates the inner man so that all of the dark corners and pockets, nothing can be hidden. Um, It's almost like God turns on a light on the inside and begins to take inventory and he begins to explore all of the things that are happening on the inside of us that at times are just buried beneath the surface. Um, but it's aggressive and it's and and it's accelerating um, in certain ways uh, because Christianity is not just about learning how to perform new tricks, um, bro. It's not just about behavioral modification. Um, it's not just about the adoption of a new a new language. Um, it's about becoming more like Jesus. Um, and, and this is something that's going to be very challenging for some. Um, And I pray that you hear it in love because it's the way that I, that I'm trying to give it. Um, You can be really gifted, um, but gifting is not synonymous with character. Um, You can have a lot of influence, but influence is not synonymous with character. Um, You can know how to flow in power. Um, You can know how to flow in words of knowledge. You can know how to flow um, in laying hands on the sick and seeing incredible and extraordinary healings. Um, But these things are associated with gifting that's attached to anointing um, and it's attached to God's word. And God is faithful to his word. Um, He's exalted his word above his own name. Um, But I think at times we take these things Um, The anointing that's on our life, the gifting that's on our life as God's validation as over the entirety of our life. Um, And it is not so. Um, There's a crowd in Matthew 7. Who Jesus said, I don't know you. But they said, did we not prophesy? Didn't (sighs) we work miracles? Right. Didn't we raise the dead? Didn't we cast out devils? Um, These were people that were anointed. They knew how to flow in gifts, Um, but they didn't have intimacy with Jesus. Um, And intimacy with Jesus is the only place where we are going to find a conforming into the image of Jesus. Mm. You have to be with him to begin to look more like him. You have to behold him to begin sounding more like him. Come on. Um, and so for me, fasting has been one of the beautiful ways um, that the Lord has led me into Himself. Um, wow. Right? This is the invitation. Uh, because again, you can fast for all of the wrong reasons. Um, I love how you mention the, the Pharisees. Uh, right in Matthew 9, it says that the disciples of John and the Pharisees come to Jesus. Um, And they have an indictment for him. They pose it in a question, but it's an accusation. They say to him, hey, man, listen, we've been watching you and your guys. um, And we fast and the Pharisees fast. But you guys don't fast. Tell us what's up, man. Like, we want to know why. Like, we've been watching. You you know, they have an accusation against him. It's like um, it's a self-righteous conversation. Like we've been watching and you're not fasting like we're fasting, bro. Like there's no way that you can be who you say you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's amazing. The Pharisees fasted two days a week. Wow. Two days a week. And Jesus rebuked the mess out of them in Matthew 23. Yeah, he called them blind guides. He called them hypocrites. He called them lovers of self-exaltation and all this other kinds of stuff. He called them whitewashed tombs. He said that they were bankrupt. They were broken. They were corrupt. They were empty. They were hollow, Uh, right? He said, you're the ones that have stoned the prophets because you love your own religious ideas. Um, These are guys that were fasting two days a week. Like two days a week. I don't know a lot of people that are fasting two days a week. No, right? So, this is the idea that just because you're fasting doesn't necessarily mean that you have postured yourself in the practice of fasting to actually reap the reward that God has for us. Wow. Um, and that's what's important. Um, you can do right and not be right, yeah.
0: Wow, wow, wow. And in that scripture. Sorry, I just want to. So in that scripture, when he's addressing, uh, they address Jesus. They're throwing the accusation, in essence, to the people. He sort of speaks about, well, while they're with me, they don't need to fast. There's a time coming where they fast. But he actually said, if you want to fast truly, he goes on to speak about, um, you know, feeding the the poor and giving, you know, selling selling your possessions and and helping the needy. And he says that's the sort of fasting that he's looking for can you, it's always puzzled me, that scripture, can you enlighten us a little bit on what he actually means, because obviously fasting food is great, and I know um, there's a question come in um, about, uh, you know, is fasting just about fasting food, Um, and we discussed that before, try and explain a bit to us about um, the different types of fasting, what you believe on fasting, and what that actual scripture means, you know, by feeding the poor and and doing these good things, just if, if, you, if you would, that'd be great.
1: Yeah, so Jesus is referencing Isaiah 58, um, right? In Isaiah 58, we have the acceptable fast that God honors. And it's in contrast to all of those um, who are religious. They're all of those who bear titles and influence and responsibility, yet they don't bear God's nature. They don't actually reveal him in their character and in their conduct. And so it's difficult to understand um, when the association, it's more so in like a political sphere. Um, They have titles and communication, but they don't actually have character and conduct. Um, And and this is the contrast. He's uh, basically in Isaiah rebuking them because they have all of their fasting that they do. Um, But yet, even as Jesus rebukes the Pharisees in Matthew 23, he tells them, you guys come and you glory in all of your tithing and all of your efforts, but you ignore mercy and justice. Um, The weightier matters. Um, And and in Isaiah 58, it's the exact same thing. Um, The idea is that we cannot come to him and not become more like him. Um, But what we can do is be distant from him and create all of our own religiosity, Um, right? Paul speaks of these things in the last days, right? Men will be lover of themselves. There will be forms of religion, empty forms of religion, denying the power thereof. Um, You know, so for me, the association of fasting um, is when we become more like him, we behave more like him. And so when we become more like him, we will behave more like him. And then we will give ourselves to things that are on his heart. There is taking care of widows, orphans, matters of mercy, justice. We will love what he loves and we will hate what he hates. Um, And it will be unavoidable. It won't be something that we try to work up in ourselves again, It is a beautiful work of transformation. And as we become more like Jesus, we will behave more like Jesus. Um, So that's the answer to the first part. Uh, The second part is the idea of fasting and all of what it can be understood to be. Uh, For me, when you look it up in the dictionary, the dictionary is going to tell you that fasting is an abstaining from food or particular foods for a religious purpose or expression. Um, At times it can be understood this way, staying away from food altogether or particular foods, especially in a religious observance or expression. Uh, So for me, first and foremost, fasting is about food. Um, And I get it. Uh, I see the questions, you know, that there are some that and again, man, I get people all over the world that get upset with me when I tell people everybody (laughs) can fast. Um, because everybody can fast, yeah. everybody can. It doesn't matter to me um, health challenges. It doesn't matter to me medication. It doesn't matter to me complications. It doesn't matter to me the type of job you have. It doesn't matter to me professional athlete. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't matter to me. Everybody can fast because everybody can do something, uh, and this is where I kind of want to break the legalistic uh, tension many times that gets associated with the conversation of fasting. Um, Everybody can do something. Oh, well, you don't get it, Mike. Um, I can't water fast. Nobody said you had to water fast. Um, Well, you don't get it, man. Like I can't do a liquid fast. You know, I can't just do water and coffee and juice and tea and smoothies. Okay. That's cool. Um, Nobody said you had to just do a liquid fast. Um, Could you give up desserts for 30 days? It's like, whoa, 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 hold on. No, 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 hold on. Like, no, you can't touch my desserts. It's like, um, could you give up coffee for two weeks? That'd be hard, Michael, for many. Uh, But you know what I'm saying? Like, I think we make it too difficult because we create a conversation that gives us an exemption. Um, And what I've learned is that what we already don't want to do we are always going to find a reason to not do. Wow. And so when our disposition is, I don't really wanna do that, we're always going to find some spiritually justifying conversation in order to create the exemption that we really want because we really don't wanna lean into it. I'm looking for a way to get out of it. And so I'm going to find a way to debate and I'm going to find a way to argue and I'm going to find a way to create my point so that I can let you know that I cannot do what it is that I may feel like Um, you are inviting me to do, even when it's God himself. Um, Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 16. Now, this is Jesus. This is not Michael. This is Jesus. Jesus says, when you fast, fast this way. Yeah. Um, He doesn't say if. He says when. When. He doesn't say, hey, listen, um, if you ever get enough people to convince you that this is right for you, then do it this way. Um, He doesn't say, hey, listen, uh, if you finally lose enough arguments, um, then choose to do it this way. Um, He doesn't say, hey, listen, um, if people finally motivate you in a good enough way with all of the blessings and breakthrough that you want, um, then use fasting as a manipulative tool this way. Um, He doesn't say any of those things. He says, when you fast. Now, Matthew 6 has the three when you do's. It's when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Um, I like to call them uh, the three when you do's, right? There are they're, they're three things that Jesus talks about that are included in the life of discipleship, giving, praying, and fasting. And oddly enough, these are three things that are hotly contested in a variety of ways, giving, prayer, and fasting. Um, wow. But Jesus says, when you do it, in, in yep. John 14, 15, he says, those that love me, they will obey me. But he says, those that don't love me, they won't obey me. So we could say it this way. Obedience is one of the love languages of Jesus. And Jesus, as a real person, should have the right to determine what loving him well actually looks like. And one of the ways that he has determined that you and I can love him well is to obey him. And in Matthew 6, he says, when you fast, fast this way. And so it should be an understanding that as a disciple, that as a disciple, my life is given over to discipleship. And discipleship is learning how to love Jesus and to love him well. Yeah. Yeah. And part of setting my life up to do that, Jesus said, when you fast. So part of setting my life up to love him and love him well should be understood in light of a lifestyle of fasting.
0: Yeah. Because
1: yeah. it's his invitation to us. When you do this, do it this way. Wow. Um, And, and to talk about food. Right. Because that's important, because I know that it's yeah. come up um a couple of times. Um, The definition is food. The definition is food. And so for me, um, I like to communicate it this way. Fasting is a discipline, but not all matters of discipline should be called a fast. Right. Okay. Fasting is absolutely a disciplining of our lives. It's a disciplining of our appetite. Um, In the place of fasting, we are turning over our attention, our affection and even our appetites to Jesus so that he can rule in our attention, he can rule in our affections, and he can rule in our appetites as king. So we are finding the necessary grace by God's empowerment of his Holy Spirit alive on the inside of us. We are receiving grace in order to turn over our attention, our affection, and our appetite to Jesus as king, to where we would not just quote Bible verses that he's Lord, to where we would not just sing songs that he's king, but to where he would actually rule in our lives as king and where we would be surrendered on every front to him as king. Okay, so that's where we start. But when we get into fasting, Fasting is a discipline, right? The psalmist um, in Psalm 35 says it this way. I humbled my soul with fasting. Another translation says I disciplined my life with fasting. So fasting is absolutely a discipline, but not all disciplinary matters should be called a fast. Let's make it real simple. Um, When you're fasting, you're not fasting the TV. Um, If you're not disciplined enough to turn the TV off and spend time with Jesus, then we need to say it this way. I need discipline in my life. I'm not disciplined enough to turn the TV off and spend time with Jesus. Um, I'm not disciplined enough with social media and Facebook and Instagram. And, you know, I'm just not disciplined enough in order to shut away from those things. Those things are affecting my attention. Now these may be things that God speaks to you about when you get into fasting, especially fasting with food. That is absolutely the case. I promise you, when you get into a fast and even longer fast, whether one day, two days, three days, five days, seven days, 10 days, 14 days, 21 days, 30 days, 40 days even, you can absolutely bank on. God is going to speak to you about your habits, He's going to speak to you about the activities of your life. He's going to speak to you about the way that you speak to your spouse, how you parent your children. He's going to speak to you about social media. He's going to speak to you about the television and sports entertainment and movies and all types of stuff because nothing is going to be off limits. But for me, um, and not just for me, uh, but the way that I communicate it is fasting is about food. Um, fasting is about food, uh, because the battlefield is how we feed our natural man. Uh, I promise you, if you stay away from Facebook for 30 days, it is not going to be the same as if you stay away from food for 30 days. Wow. Um, if you stay away from Netflix for 10 days, I promise you, it's not going to be like doing a water fast for 10 days. Um, there is a tug of war on the inside for what is going to govern our lives.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: it is flesh and spirit. And your fleshly man wants to rule. Your fleshly man wants to govern. Your fleshly man ultimately wants to be the determiner. It wants to be what wins. Um, And your fleshly man is not going to just bow out of the equation. Um, You know, it's beautiful for me in Philippians 3. Paul is referencing those who are preaching the gospel with selfish ambition. And one of the ways that he describes this crowd, uh, I believe it's Philippians 3, 18. He says, they're enemies of the cross. Now that's, that's rough. But he also says, whose God is their stomach or whose God is their appetite. L- listen to that. Whose God is their appetite. It's like, man, I love Jesus, but at the end of the day, I've got so many cravings that are attached to this natural man and I just haven't learned how to tell myself no. I just haven't learned how to crucify certain things about who and what I am. I haven't learned how to lay down and to surrender at the feet of Jesus certain things about my life. And in the end, these things have control. Right, That's what Jesus says in John 4 to the woman at the well. He offers her a drink. But what does he tell her? He says, if you would drink the drink that I offer, you would never thirst again. Thirst again. yeah. What is he saying? Um, I think in many of our lives, um, we have addictive tendencies. Um, we have a fleshly nature that is bent towards craving. It's bent towards lusting. It's bent towards addiction. Um, But Jesus is telling her, I want to be the well in your life that satisfies you. Did you realize that in food, there is not just a physical, like fleshly satisfaction, but there's also a neurological effect. And there is hormones and all types of things that are released, dopamine and all types of other things from the pleasure sensor in the brain that releases certain things into the body. Um, So at time, there's a whole chapter in the first fasting book associated with the physicality um, of fasting and how God's invitation to us is not just an invitation into suffering, but it's an invitation into freedom. Wow, Um, that's really good. Maybe you've never considered that it's called comfort food for a reason. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Desserts spelled backwards is stressed. Is it? Oh, wow. I like that. (laughs) Desserts spelled backwards is called stressed. Um, Wow. It's the same word. You just turn it around. And so at times there's a connection with food that goes much deeper than just the surface level um, interaction and digestion. Things that we like, we may be chemically bound to because of the satisfaction that it releases in our senses from our brain and the pleasure sensor and how it affects neurologically our system even. Um, And so there's so much in it. Uh, But for me, Man, we have to call things what they are. And if we need more discipline, let's say we need more discipline. Um, But let's not say every time we're entering into discipline that it's a fast. Uh, Because again, we can dilute the invitation. Um, And the enemy is great at this. If he can't take it away from you, he'll try to dilute it. He'll try to dumb it down. Um, he'll try to compromise it. Um, and we very easily compromise the invitation to fasting. Um, now, now also hear me. That's not to say that when you get involved in a fast, that the Lord's not going to speak to you about all of these other things. We already said that's absolutely true. And so you may get into a three-day fast and the Lord may tell you, watch no TV while you're on this fast. But it's three days particular to food but there's going to be a host of other things that go along with it. You know, and we have precedent for that. You know, in Daniel 6, Darius puts Daniel into the lion's den and it says he fasts for him all night long. He fasts for him food all night long and no entertainment was brought to him. You know, so there's there's all types of other things that as we are fasting food, the Holy Spirit will beautifully begin to touch on and will beautifully begin to speak to our hearts about so that we can bring the needed discipline into our lives while we are on the fast.
0: It's good. It's really good. It's really good, Michael, just to um, hear you break it down um, in in the way that you have. So um, just to um, summarize a little bit of that, that it's it's okay to, get rid of Facebook. It's all okay to discipline, but let's call it what it is. It's discipline and saying, hey, I'm gonna switch the TV off and spend time with Jesus. Hey, I'm, I'm gonna discipline myself. And you know, maybe you're having a bit too much coffee and you need to cut it out because it's an addiction in your life, but don't call it a fast. A fast is actually intentionally taking away the food, the water that it speaks about in the scriptures. I think that sort of explains it to a lot of people because I hear so many people, I'm going on a Facebook fast, I'll see you in a month's time, things like this. And and actually the reality is that's not a fast. That's just them saying I'm disciplining myself because I've realized social media's took too much of a control and I need to give Jesus some of it back. But the benefits, and I'm sure they'll be able to read more of this in in the books, volume one, volume two, the benefits of fasting outweigh the di- some of the disciplines that we're putting in. So there's nothing wrong with discipline, but fasting's got a specific um, benefit to it. And it- we're really good to hear um, about the dessert spelt backwards is stressed. Um, I totally understand that. I mean, I've lost a bit of weight. I've lost 70 pounds.
1: Oh, wow. Come on, man.
0: Still there, Michael, yes, sir. You still there?
1: I am yes. all right. He went
0: dead for a minute there. I do apologize, technical hitch. Um, so, um, so it's really good that you brought that out. Um, within there, now I've kept you on for 25 minutes extra because I really felt people needed to hear that part of it. But I, it wouldn't be fair if we left without you praying and imparting some of that fire that you've got. Um, for some people um, that have been watching. And and thank you, everyone who's watching. There's a lot more to unpack. And, Michael, maybe we can get you on again um, just to unpack some more around fasting. But it was really good to hear your testimony. It was so powerful. I, I've not heard your testimony before, Michael, I'll be honest. And it was so powerful and inspiring. And if anyone's watching right now or watching later, I'd like you to share this with unsaved family members and friends. I'd love it if you could share it with people and, and you know, the, we'll give them an opportunity to give their life to Jesus because it was so powerful and the fasting part is there's so much to unpack but I'm just going to encourage everybody who wants to know more number one log on to your YouTube channel Michael because you've got lots about fasting on there and number two buy both them books volume uh, one and volume two because I know there's a lot more I can see it in you you just wanted to give more there um, but you know, we normally do these for an hour, but I think we could have spoke for at least three hours here just on the one oh, subject, to fasting. Um, and, and I like watching your videos on fasting anyway; uh, they really help me. But it's really, it's helped so far. Um, so people are, you've got a glimpse of it whoever's watching now you've got a glimpse you might watch later you've got a glimpse of it there's so much more on Michael's YouTube channel and in his book so please do get it and we'll try and get Michael on again he's a busy man but we'll try and get him back on maybe um in the new year sometime just to unwrap some more on um on fasting um, and the intimacy with God so thank you Michael but let's pray for some people I really you know there were times I wanted to stop and pray as well but Let's pray for some people who are on. If you've got a prayer request, this is the time to post it now and we'll pray for you. But Michael, can you impart, um, you can't give them what you've already got, but impart some sort of, um, I'm trying to think of the words, some passion towards fasting, because it is a discipline. It is doing something. Just go for a prayer, something that you feel on your heart to, to release on the people who have been watching.
1: Um, yeah, Lord, I pray right now. And I ask you to put hunger in us to fast.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: As odd as that would sound, I'm praying that you would make us hungry enough that we would hmm. begin to fast, where we would realize that as much as we may believe that we've tasted and for all that we feel like we've seen, um, even as the psalmist says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, I am praying that you would touch our hearts and Holy Spirit, that you would woo us to the person of Jesus. You are the great Mm. romancer of our souls, King Jesus. Uh, And I'm praying that you would touch us in such a way where we would want you, nothing but you and only you, and that we would do whatever it is that you are leading us to do. Um, May we know what it is that you are saying and then love you with all of our life. Because Mm. if loving you is obeying you, Jesus, we want to obey you. So I'm praying, put fire in everyone's hearts, touch their hearts, Lord, and cause them to burn for you in a way that would bring them to the point where they would be willing to hold nothing back. I'm not holding anything back. I'll give you everything I have and the rest of my life. I will live it for you. King Jesus. Um, Lord, touch, touch hungry hearts. Um, Touch hungry hearts. Uh, And I am praying that you would beautifully begin to speak to people. Lead them into fasting and praying. Um, Lead them into fasting and praying. Um, Thank you, Lord, that you said while the bridegroom is with them, they have no need to fast. But there is coming the days when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And in those days, they will be found fasting. Um, Mm. Lord, in these days where the bridegroom seems to have been kept from us, uh, we know that you're coming again. But in these days, while we are waiting, may we be found fasting. Wreck our hearts, Lord. Mm. Wreck our hearts. Yes.
0: Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We just thank you for everybody who's watching right now, Lord. We just pray, Lord, for anybody who's sick in body, everybody who's in need right now. We just declare healing. Um, we command that sickness to go from your body. And Lord, as Michael's prayed, Lord, let us become hungry for you again. Let us get um, a heart like yours, Lord. Remove our stony hearts and give us a soft heart like you, Lord. And 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 do that through um fasting, Lord, through praying, through supplications, Lord, to you. Lord, give us a hunger to turn our eyes upon you, Lord, and turn our eyes away from the world again. Lord, come upon your people right now. Set them on fire and ablaze right now. Let your burning fire just flood their hearts right now in the name of Jesus. I pray wherever you're watching this right now in the name of Jesus, receive the fire right now of God. Be filled afresh, for them who are living that religious life, looking to earn their way to heaven, I rebuke that religion right now in the name of Jesus. I'll rip it out of you right now. I was once in religion myself and and I know how deadly it is to your salvation. So I just declare right now, you're free from that religious thought, that mindset that you've got to work your way to heaven. You don't have to work your way anywhere. Jesus has paid the price. I declare today that you are free from that mindset. Renew your mind right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said... Amen. (laughs) We could have gone on much longer tonight, Michael. So, so much, um, nuggets of truth there. Um, and I'm sure people will want to connect with you. Um, I'll put the, the website across the bottom right now. So connect with him on there. I think, um, there's a link being put in the comment boxes on Facebook as well um, and on YouTube. So click on them links if you want to know more about uh, Michael. Watch some of his videos and get that book. Get that book. And then next time we get Michael on, you'll have all read the books and then, and then he'll have got volume three out. God will speak about volume three by next year maybe. I don't know. But it's been great having you, Michael. I don't know if you can hang about a bit after backstage and I'll catch up with you Um thank you so much. It's been absolutely awesome having you on here.
1: Man, thank you so much. I'm honoured to have been able to share this time with you. Again, thanks for joining me. If uh, you was touched
0: by this service and you want to listen to any more or find out more about Ignite Ministries, the ministry that I run, um, please visit www.igniteministries.co.uk. Remember, God changes lives from the inside out.